The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. We got some more rock and roll uh, and blood spewing. Uh, give him the axe style rock and roll. Continuing today with special guest Lizzie Borden. A new album coming out on Metal Blade Records. His first in over a decade is called My Midnight Things. And you're going to find out why he decided to record new music after 11 years. We're also going to talk about his love of horror movies and how that inspired his stage characters, costumes, and bloody theatrical shows. We talk about Alice Cooper, Kiss, The Tubes, all of his influences, the Hollywood metal scene in the 80s, hanging out at the Rainbow on the Sunset Strip, and how Lizzie Borden lost at least two guitar players to Ozzy Osbourne's solo band. Lizzie's also going to tell us about the time Gene Simmons almost produced an album for him, why it didn't work out. Uh, Also going to tell us all about Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2, in which Lizzie Borden was a huge part of that movie. And the new record, My Midnight Things. Great to have Lizzie Borden back on the scene. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Great rock and roll with Lizzie and great rock and roll coming up with the Foz. Uh, I'm going to be playing some great heavy metal and rock and roll on Octane and New Fozzy this Friday night on Rock of Jericho. If you have suggestions for the playlist, hit me up on the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho. And meanwhile, in the meantime and in between time, tune in to the show on Octane, Sirius XM, Channel 37, Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that's when it debuts. We're going to have some uh, new music from uh, from a Valentine. New music from uh, Grandson. No one's ever heard of them before. That's why I'm doing this on my show. Plus, we're going to play some classic Ozzy and some Spinal Tap with a couple of quotes from Derek Smalls, uh, who was on Talk is Jericho last week. What a great uh, informational uh, interview that was. We heard, learned all about the Choctaw Indians and uh, fitness bathtub routines, so go check that out. And check out The Rock of Jericho this Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM 37. And check out the Judas Rising Tour starting up again in July. Uh, we're going out to do Rock USA in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The Kadot Rock Festival, though I'm Canadian, is it Kadot? Is it Kadot or Kadot? Tell us, at Talk is Jericho. The Peoria Riverfront Fest in Peoria, Illinois, and the Belvedere, Illinois, and Apollo Theater. Uh, and then we're going over to Hungary, uh, at the Pheasant Festival, uh, J- July 26th. And then we're doing all throughout Europe, Prague, Germany, Switzerland, uh, Italy, more Germany, all across the place. 
So please check that out. We're doing Bloodstock uh, in Canton Park in Walton on Trent Derbyshire, August 12th. Go to fozzyrock.com for all the information. And of course, Judas Rising Tour beginning again August 24th in Atlanta, Georgia at Smith's Old uh, old Bar. Then we're going to Huntsville, Clarksville, Little Rock, all across the United States. Make sure to check out fozzyrock.com for all VIP information, all ticket information. We do a mini concert for all you uh, people. It's going to be a great, great time. Uh, so go check that out, fozzyrock.com, and get ready to check out Lizzie Borden. He's returning after 11 years. One of my all-time favorites right here on Talk is Jericho, and it starts now. All right, so I was uh, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the other day, and I was listening to some tunes on Shuffle, and "Me Against the World" came up by uh, by Lizzie Borden, who's here with me right now. And I just started thinking, like, man, like these songs still hold up. That's such a great record, visualized. And I thought, I'll call Lizzie and see if he'll be available to do the show. And here we are talking to to Lizzie Borden, which is uh, very cool. We've met a few times, but never really had a chance to really sit down and talk. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think everyone is every artist is kind of like known for one song yeah yeah, yeah. you know i guess uh, you know kiss will be rock and roll and i yeah cooper's school's out yeah me against the world seems like that's my song that's the big one right unless i can come up with something else <laughs> <laughs> which is what i'm working on so was that kind of the biggest quote-unquote hit for you yeah that was the one that's kind of uh and it, oddly enough the uh uh subject matter it turned out that way too because he never really you know uh the way that i do things was never i was never able to join any other clubs mm -hmm. you know we we played with slayer and we played with poison hmm. you know it was such a a mixed bag and we were never part of anybody's hmm. you know when the when the thrash movement started happening everyone band together they were able to play together and then when the glam movement all those and we were you know i was the odd man out you know? That's interesting because stylistically, Lizzie Borden, you know, you kind of had a little bit of a, of a glam influence and like the shock rock thing that was going on at that time. But musically, there was priest elements and there was maiden elements, but there was also a lot of balladry involved. So it was very diverse. Yeah, I didn't I wasn't thinking of of the movement that was happening. I was thinking of my influences were it was mostly the glitter rock of the 70s, you know, all that. That was, It wasn't really the glam thing for me. It was more of the glitter rock, more of the, uh, the show business aspect. So what are you talking it. about, like Bowie and, and Slade and that sort of thing? Yeah, Bowie, Sweet, and all those English bands. Mm -hmm. And then also the New York movement that was happening. Uh, New York had a huge uh, thing with, with Kiss and uh, New York Dolls. The Dolls, and, right. And, and a bunch of those type you know even in every in everybody was influenced by some of the stuff that was happening in new york as well even the english bands but you grew up in la right i grew up in la what was going on in la along those along those lines uh, was there anybody? here this was the star maker place because like rodney bingingheimer he was like you know bowie came here to be famous so Bingenheimer was the famous DJ out here. He was able to put him on the radio in the U.S. And what he did, everyone else copied. Oh. So Bowie was a uh, you know big in the U.K., but that's it. Mm -hmm. So he comes here, gets on the radio, he puts him on the radio and makes a star out of him. And that's kind of what happened. Everyone was coming here and filtering through, and, and then the rest of the U.S. would catch on. So growing up in L.A., like in that 70s time frame, who were you into that was that was playing out here did you go see some bands live and well the first band that i had ever seen in a, an arena was kiss okay and right. that was like 
that changed everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was into all those bands. I just never, I didn't, I didn't see my first concert till I was fifteen. Gotcha. So, um, but you know, after that, I was on the scene. Just I was, you know, I see, I seen Quiet Right when they started. You know, mm-hmm. the, before they, you know, with with Randy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, a lot of those, you know, the Starwood stuff. <laughs> Lizzie's black cat is uh, licking my face right now. And, of course, you have a black cat, which is awesome. <laughs> What's his name? I call him Chaos. Okay, so Chaos is the special <laughs> guest host today here. <laughs> what about, like, uh, with Van Halen around that time? Yeah, I saw Van Halen uh, a, a lot. Um, mm. Just all the bands that were playing, mainly the Starwood out here, which was a really great club. But the whiskey and, and everything else. Was the Starwood down in Hollywood too? Yeah, that was kind of in that whiskey rainbow, yeah. Gazzari's type was, area. It was on uh, Santa Monica, so okay. it was off the off the beaten path a little bit. But mm-hmm. it was the best club. It was amazing. Really? You know? Yeah, it was because it had so. It, on one side there was a disco, because disco was really yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other side was the greatest rock club ever. With the, the whole wall was a, was a, the PA. It was just like you just get blasted. Right. I saw Judas Priest there. Oh, cool! At the, at the Starwood. Yeah, early on. Wasn't wasn't VH uh, one of the house band at the Starwood for a while? Or weren't they kind of playing there? I think often? so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was so many uh, startup bands, and mm. there was no. You know, no one was a big star. You know, and Judas Priest was like, you know, amazing. But Judas they, come to the town, yeah. but they still were. I mean, this, this was a club. You know, mm-hmm. that they were playing, so they hadn't broke. But yet. there was such a scene though at that time. There was, but it was a. It was the end of the seventies and the beginning of what was about to happen. Hmm. So that transition, I always say, it, it transitions about two years into each decade hmm. from the from the other one. So to about 81, 82, it was still yeah, kind of that late 70s. It was 70s still vibe. a lot of the 70s stuff. You know, all that, uh, all the all the bands that, that had made it up to Arena. I mean, I saw Blue Oyster Cult in an arena probably, I don't know, 10, 15 times. <laughs> yeah. And then that transition happened. And when that, you know, that end of the 70s transition. So what exactly, like being there and seeing it, what exactly started happening to, to cause that? Uh, it was probably the new wave british heavy metal you know mm-hmm. that whole kind of thing they started something that was took a long time to trickle over you know we bought all our records import you know right. and it just took so long for it to, to trickle over even though those bands had been together in it since the what's like 77 you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. and then uh and, but when they started changing their sounds when the scorpions changed their sound and when uh, Iron Maiden changed a little bit, and when Judas Priest uh, adapted mm. a few different things, they all kind of changed their sound at the same time. Into right. this, you know, they just they found their uh, <laughs> their master the, volume on their Marshalls or something, <laughs> and they just they went into that metal grinding. And the dual sound. guitar leads was really starting to become yeah, a thing, right? That whole thing, and and mixing it with uh, with singers who can sing you know which was pretty amazing you know because that was for me that was so influential because you know i loved queen and their, and all those bands but to have a heavier music added to With it was that. just you know and so you know everybody flocked here who were some of your favorite singers like when you were first getting into music like the influences on you i guess well probably the main one was ian gillen i heard child in time for the first time and i was like hairs went <laughs> back of my neck just like what is this kind of opera scream yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah so much emotion to it i just was like i i want to figure out how to do that you mm-hmm. know 
And then, uh, then Glenn Hughes came around. I really Another love Glenn Hughes. Too, yeah. But you know, Robin Zander was was a big one too. Um. <laughs> Chaos just, just slapped me in the face. <laughs> so Zander as well, because when we were talking earlier about Bowie and Kiss, it's like Lizzie Borden uh, band name, but also you as the singer being the namesake. You had um, there was always a lot of different characters involved, and it seemed like you know, whereas Bowie had Aladdin Sane and had Ziggy Stardust, you kind of had that as well throughout the years of always kind of playing a different character. Uh, or, or different elements of a character on each on each album. When did you decide that you wanted to go that way? Well, even creating the first one, you know, the Lizzie character, I didn't want it to be. At that time, most people had kind of didn't really hear about the original Lizzie Borden axe killer, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> and, uh, and that was Borden, the famous Lizzie Borden yeah, grabbed an axe and gave yeah, her mother forty exactly. wax or whatever it was. So at that time, that kind of washed away, you know, and it, it, so the name was just a weird name. It was mm -hmm. like Jethro Tull or something. Like Alice else. Cooper, yeah, yeah female so, male name. Yeah, so they no one really put the two and two together until much until mm -hmm. actually when they started putting movies out and stuff, but. um were you a fan of, of the Lizzie Borden or did you, where did you No, I just like the name and the imagery and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, that's my starting point. Mm -hmm. But I didn't actually uh, do any research. I still haven't to this day. I don't <laughs> know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted it that way because I didn't, I think that would be so one dimensional to do mm -hmm. it that way and just cater to everything. You know, I brought the acts on stage, but really because, mostly because we were watching a lot of bad uh horror movies you know really b b and c movies yeah and the axe was more uh we you know the first lovey to pieces murderous metal that was all about uh b horror films hmm. we were trying to bring that it wasn't any had nothing to do with the original thing you know so creating characters seemed so natural to me to be able to you know if i was going to make I don't. I don't call what I make concept albums. I make it conceptual. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're all all the songs tied together. But and you could probably write a script. You know, and I have, but uh, I, I wanted it to be loose, and I wanted the songs to stand up on each. You know, each mm -hmm. individual mm -hmm. song instead of having to have the other part of the thing to tell the story. You know, I wanted it all the songs to sure. be individual. Well, when you're talking about too that time frame, how things were changing, and plus LA, like 84, 85, there's so many metal bands when heavy metal became a thing. But you guys, right off the bat, you had a, a you talked about the murderous metal road show, and there was a lot of gim uh, gimmickry and visual things and stunts. And t go into that process and how you started to do that and why you started to do that. Well, originally, when uh, you know, I had gone to see so many bands, I felt that was my college i had to go see what not to do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was like i every night i went out to see who i wasn't didn't want to do and who i didn't want to be you mean some of the newer bands that were on the strip and that uh sort of even thing? some of the older bands yeah. you know just the way that they did it how was i gonna do it mm -hmm. you know and how i wanted to do it and uh when i saw kiss i saw them so in character on stage they never broke character mm -hmm. and same with cooper and the same with uh, the tubes and uh there's an know, underrated stage show act the yeah tubes. people don't realize how much of a show they have oh my god it was massive yeah. and, you know I, they did so many and fee played so many characters on stage i said i didn't know that the singer yeah yeah he mm -hmm. was he had he had a guy that looked just he was he was d snyder oh <laughs> he looked just like d snyder he called it was called quaalude that so was, he'd put uh, the wig on and all he put stuff the wig on the whole thing but this is before 
Twisted Sister, right. or probably right around the same time, mm-hmm. I guess. But uh, it was, you know, he played a lot of characters on stage. So I, I thought that, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to be in character. I want to be full on. And I thought that would be so much, uh, and it was easier for me too, because I, I couldn't even get in front of a classroom. Oh, so you shot a shy yeah, guy? Yeah, I was like, if, if they made me stand in front of the class, I would take the fail. You know? <laughs> so being in character was, so, uh, to me, just was like, okay, that's it. I, you know, when I see Gene Simmons in full character, I was like, I can do that. You know, I can find, but I, you know, it took me, you know, it took me years to figure it out where I wanted to take it. You know, you went to one extreme to the other, trying to figure out which was more natural and what Mm -hmm. was put on, you know, tell me about some of the stunts that you had at that time. Well, because the PMRC was around, you know, we went from the horror stuff and we, I, I didn't want to be stuck in there. So we went right out of that when we did the menace record and I wanted it to be like a futuristic gang, you know, like the uh, clockwork uh, orange. Yeah. I mixed a lot of those, the imageries of a lot of different uh, crazy movies, Mm -hmm. but I saw, you know, obviously the, like the walking dead that's out now, you know, that was kind of what I was thinking way back then. Mm. And to have this uh, gang and have this one general, which I called Stiletto, which was me, mm-hmm. and he controlled this, you know, gang of marauders, and that was kind of the way it was. But because the PMRC was around, I kind of threw them in there because we were on the filthy list every single time they put one out. But we didn't get the, I didn't get the fame from it. I just got right. knocked out of the record stores. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mère and mère somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Let's talk about that quickly, these little teachers. So the PMRC was the Parental Music Resource Center, and they would put out a list of bands that you kids were not supposed to listen to. Yeah. Is that kind of the vibe? It, yeah, it was Filthy 15, I think it was called. And we were, I, I was on it every single time. And, you know, D and, and, uh, and Wasp and a couple of bands were getting a lot of notoriety. But I wasn't getting the notoriety. I was just getting knocked out of the record stores. So record stores would actually look at this list and take your they, album out. Exactly. That's insane to yeah. think about that. It's it almost was, like a form of communism. It or was. Something. It was crazy. Wow. And most of those bands, you know, did a, they got a lot out of it, mm-hmm. you know. But I, uh, we, the ones down, down on the bottom of that list, that's the ones who you t- wouldn't get the uh, the kids rebelling against their parents and buying it anyways. Because yeah, we just got the the they just stopped us from doing it we had we've been raided by the vice squad so many times we're on stage all of a sudden the lights come on vice squad comes in they think that i was gonna you know destroy all their kids or brainwash all their kids and they just closed our show you're kidding me so vice squads would actually come to your shows in multiple states really that's is there one you can remember in particular probably the the one that was the uh most intense was in san diego uh we were playing in I was in full character, <laughs> blood everywhere. And this particular the show uh, was very underage. There was probably 13, 14 year old kids and they were just loving it, you know. And uh, but they came in like uh, like they were the Gestapo 
and they were like the place was on fire. Hmm. They were f just getting the kids out as fast as they could possibly get them out because any one second longer of me yeah. brainwashing them, you know, destroy their minds forever. Yeah. So and they and they threatened to arrest me and everything else, and it was just a it all happened in a, you know in just a blink of an eye, just you know. But that it happened to us multiple. And times. And what would they say to you? Like, just get off the stage, or you're lucky we don't arrest you, or. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple. Most of the time, the promoter would jump in front of us and say, what's going on? Why are you doing this? And Because uh, it came out of nowhere, you know. We, we would get a couple uh, newspaper things that we were coming, and that's all it took. Mm. As soon as they knew we were coming, they, you know. So that stuff didn't get a lot, you know. You didn't get the press from I it. I didn't get the press from it. Yeah. I didn't get uh, the stuff that a lot of people got, you know, mm -hmm. that actually helped them. All, all they did was take our records out of the record store. So you talked about, you said you were covered in blood. So tell me about some of the stuff that you would do on stage at the beginning. Because I remember you would, you would, you weren't cutting the heads off, of, but there was like, there was a, like some magical tricks with chicks in a box. And there was a lot of different <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> we did a lot of different things. I mean, at the beginning there was, um, the guy who did troll the movie, mm -hmm. he was right next to us. And he was he used to make all the troll dolls and everything. Next to you in rehearsal or something? Or? Yeah, right next to our rehearsal. Okay. So I would go in there and I'd go, well, what can what can we do in the show? What what do you got? <laughs> and so he made me he made my costume at that time, and then he also made uh, 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 we were doing a thing with with uh, you know from Splatterfix where the girl runs and you know Jason's behind her you know tracking her. So I wanted to do that on stage in the best way that we could. And then eventually cut her head off, mm. and so that was the first one that we we worked on. And he built this whole thing, where as soon as I chopped the head, blood would shoot out. And I go, well, you know what? We're playing the troubadour, <laughs> and I wanted to hit the second story. <laughs> Just so, a smaller club with a second story oh, top, yeah. yeah. So um, they did, we had a fire extinguisher hookup, and we just cranked that thing, and it was just blood everywhere. Wow. And this was before anybody was shooting blood out I sure mean, no one was doing it not you know wasps started like a month before we did but they were throwing meat mm -hmm. you know we were shooting blood more than you know what would the troubadour like bosses say to this i it, it they didn't say anything they didn't care because they saw this movement happening but it went from a you know troubadour was a supper club with mm -hmm. elton john and all these folk being right yeah, 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 yeah and all of a sudden they brought in the heavy metal guys and uh you know, when we started playing, they had tables and chairs set up. Hmm. So people would be eating dinner watching us play. <laughs> and it was a supper club. Yeah. And until they we started drawing enough so then they would take the chairs and tables mm -hmm. out. But the first time we did the, the blood routine, blood just shot, I mean, over everybody. Everybody was covered in it. And like I said, it was back then they were in shock. <laughs> Even fans who came to see us were just just shocked because they were covered in blood. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something like now where you see Guar do it and everything. Sure. Now, I mean, back then they were in in just shell shocked, mm -hmm. going, "What just happened? Do I have animal blood? Do I have uh, yeah, human blood?" Yeah. They had no idea. So mm -hmm. it was such a it was true shock rock because nothing had come before. Mm -hmm. Not you know. You saw Cooper do a vaudeville version of it, but he really wasn't shooting blood in the crowd. Yours is more know. violent, more horrific. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was over the top, and it was uh, based on all those horror movies that we used to watch. And then when the PMRC thing, we we wanted to have a, a, a routine. I remember this one, where a PMRC guy was trying to stop our show, so we we dressed one of our roadies in a suit and tie, and he came out 
and uh, I, he had a big sign saying "No Lizzie Borden" with the you know Lizzie Borden with the thing line, crossed, circle yeah, line yeah. through it. Yeah. And then uh, I had a, I would get him on his knees and take a pistol, and I shot him in the head, and his head, <laughs> whole head of it would would blow off. <laughs> And I had that that same troll guy made that too. So what would they do? Put like a prosthetic piece on the back? With yeah. Like a, a, a every night, in every night, the roadie had to <laughs> dress in his suit, put the <laughs> put the uh, hair piece, and then I would shoot him, and the head would blow off. Would and he, blood would, he would pull shoot. a trigger or something that would make it go? Yeah, or? there was someone that would gotcha. rig that at the same time that I would shoot him, and we would aim it right at the audience. So the blood would shoot right out of the back of his head, right into the crowd, and. Uh, and that was that was one, and then you know we've done a lot of different types of things. Any any idea that I came up with, we tried to figure out how to recreate it on stage, the best way that we so could. From a financial standpoint, if you have to put the squib on the back of a guy's head, I'm sure that's not the cheapest thing to do if you're doing 50 gigs or whatever. It it it, it wasn't. It was extremely difficult, especially back then. Mm -hmm. You know, and we were you know, uh, I remember on the first tour we were touring and Slayer was in front of us. And they had a thing for destroying everything. <laughs> and they destroyed every motel room on the scene, on the circuit. Mm -hmm. And we would come there and they said, no, 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 <laughs> no rooms. So we didn't get rooms for most of that tour because every place we went in, Slayer had already destroyed the rooms. <laughs> and they said, no more rock bands. Hmm. So we were just so, we were so sleep deprived and doing this routine, you know, there was a couple of times where I almost knocked my teeth out because I was just so sleep deprived, you know. On like but the stand or something? Well, or, or I'd take the baseball bat and, and hit the sign. The sign would come and hit me in the face gotcha. or, or, you know, low ceilings or something. Mm -hmm. You know, we had so many different uh, things. But being sleep deprived actually helped with the character because I was so in the zone, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, I just kind of used all these uh you know, we didn't have the money to do it the right way. When there's no five star hotels, that <laughs> was even resembling <laughs> maybe five nights in a row. You could get your combined five stars, one star each for one yeah. night. If that, oh, we we had one where there were spiders <laughs> throughout the whole thing. We had to run out. <laughs> <laughs> Giant spiders chasing you. So you talk about the shock rock things that you were doing at that time frame. Did it, did it help uh, build your name fairly quickly, or did you get a pretty big big uh, buzz from that? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, the best thing that ever happened to me was uh, we were signed to Metal Blade, but Metal Blade also had a deal with a, a label called Enigma. Mm -hmm. And Enigma had a full staff. Sure, but that was Metal, a fairly major indie label. Yeah, they had uh, a full staff, and Metal Blade had a very small staff. Right. So uh, they had a publicist named Lisa Gladfelter, and she she took a liking to to what I was trying to pull off and what I was trying to do. And uh, she was the one who actually made, you wouldn't have heard of me without her. Hmm. She was the one who just drove it, got me in every magazine, got me, uh, every night of the week we were out doing red carpet stuff. Hmm. I mean, we were constantly, the the, the machine was, was so gung-ho there. When, and she was really the one who drove it, you know. Hmm. Right. Get me in every picture, get, you know. And that, started to go you know go to europe and and and, and japan and other mm -hmm. places just be, just because of that press that she was that she got for me so that was like the main re that was the main way to get my name out we were touring like crazy but you know 
we were doing clubs. Sure. So sure, sure, sure. that's just that's a minimal amount of uh, right. You know. Did you ever do any major tours with major bands? I can't ever recall. No, we never we never got it. We were up for we were always uh, there was five bands up for the tour, and we were always one of the five. <laughs> and we'd always never You'd get talk it. about for like Priest or Maiden or Motley Crue or whoever was big at the time. Yeah, I think I remember we were uh, we were confirmed for a Cooper tour. I think it's comeback. Oh wow, eighty five. Right. And they said, you guys, are the, you're the support. And we were like, but it didn't start for like six weeks. So we're just waiting. And our album started slipping out of the top 200. And once it slipped out, we were off the tour. Gone, right. And they replaced us with, I don't know who, somebody. You know. But the, even like video-wise, I know there was a video for Me Against the World, but I can't think of something from from any of the, like, from Love You to Pieces. Did you guys have a video? Um, you know, you're trying to think about that. I we did recall. a our own home video in our studio mm -hmm. uh someone came in and filmed us and they went to edit it but it i forget what maybe we did something with that it was give them the axe the, okay the, right the, sure that song uh but other than that you know video wasn't even heard of even the live video that we did i was the one who came to metal blade and said look you know i see other people starting to do these live videos and this was a 84 you know the end of 84 85 and and so we put that together with no money and and figured out how to do it it was a one night shot too and we were coming back from that sleep deprived tour <laughs> and that was the last night of the tour and so it was just one shot you know there wasn't you know we were we didn't think about recording during the sound check <laughs> to have some safety right, 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 or right. trying to do two nights uh -huh. you know it was just like okay do it one, one night. night it's got to be perfect here we go <laughs> So what you hear is what happened. Really? So no overdubs on that or anything like that? There was Minimal? Yeah, there was like three or four little pieces where the guitar was screwed mm -hmm. up or something, and we fixed that. So, But, but vocally, other, it was pretty straightforward. Every, yeah, what you hear is what was on there. And it was like, you know, I'm, doing, I'm trying to do all the theatrics and everything. I wasn't thinking about it, you know. Which is hard, because when you talk to, like I talked to Paul Stanley about a live last year. It was the 40th anniversary, and he was saying like, you know, of course, a lot of it was recorded after the fact because when you're on stage and you got seven inch platform heels and there's bombs going off and you're putting on a show and you're dancing, it's not going to be perfect. It doesn't even sound good sometimes, <laughs> but you didn't have that option. Well, you know what? It, if I had known that, <laughs> if I had known a lot of stuff, I would have done it. I would have said, hell yeah, let's, yeah. let's make it perfect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, but back then we were trying to be real, you know, and. I didn't want to tune down. I wanted to to do it. I felt like everything was a cop out. So I, mm -hmm. you know, I was kind of crazy back then. I was, let's just do it for real, you know. And some people liked it, but for the most part, I think that if I had made it better, people, would have, more people would have liked it, mm -hmm. you know. And I don't think we we got really respect for doing a one night off thing, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't you didn't get that indie cred. It, for doing yeah, that. there wasn't. We didn't really get anything from that. <laughs> being you know mm -hmm. steadfast and saying we're real you know no one cared so did you do like tours nationwide at that point in time yeah we were just looping the u.s but just we, you guys you yeah we were mostly headlining everywhere we went mm -hmm. and that was a good thing i mean especially when visual eyes came out we were able to do real headlining tours in front of people mm -hmm. instead of you know the well the first couple you know was a hit and miss mm -hmm. we'd play in front of you know 800 people and then the next night we play in front of 20, you know, mm -hmm. so it was like, okay, what's going on here? And so right. we figured out certain states, we, they heard of us and other states they didn't. Yeah. 
But when Visualize came out, we were able to do that in every state. Uh, and that was kind of a game changer. Just on Me Against the World. Just on, yeah, just the video alone. Um, you know, I hosted Headbangers Ball for one night and I got a lot of exposure from that. And, uh, you know, the video got played on Headbangers Ball all the time. So it was uh, one of those things where that was the game changer. Yeah, yeah. And it was meant to be. I mean, you know, when I, after we had done the first two records, and got minimal success i was like there has to be a change here we've got to do something we've got to write better songs mm -hmm. and at the time we had no understanding of how to do that you know there was no tempo control there was no volume control i my voice was high only because i had to sing over the top of the music that's that's an interesting point because yeah, back in those days there was real no monitors no inner ears no. so to be heard in our studio, if I anytime I wrote anything that was middle of the road, you it was just a wash. Wow. You couldn't hear it. So I had to sing above. And once I was singing that high, I kind of got stuck there. It was a Getty Lee type territory. Yeah, I was. I was I was in that territory and it was the only way to hear myself. And then when you hear but then when I hear myself on the record, I'm like, well, that's kind of unnecessary. <laughs> I don't need to go into that stratosphere. Right, 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 right. So I started to, uh, I was into David Bowie, so I really started to sing along to David Bowie stuff to try and develop some low tones. Hmm. And then uh, we went to do the Visualize record. I actually wanted to do a lot of that stuff, but Max didn't want to do it. It was Max Norman. Yeah, he was like, you know, just stay in the, stay in the range, you know. I brought it down, mm -hmm. but nowhere near where I wanted to. What I ended up doing on Visualize like seven octaves i went the full gamut i was singing so low and i was singing so high throughout yeah you know, all the harmonies and stuff so that record i was able to to do all the stuff that i had worked on which made know. it more accessible probably to a bigger fan base it was it's the biggest record masters guys were, were our biggest record but mm -hmm. it was also the end of the end of the, the whole line, thing right? yeah it was the end of it we had we toured until 93 and we were still you know headlining clubs and still drawing really well but it was the end you know and everybody could feel it just because and the musical climate had changed it had and promoters were starting to promote uh you know to try and getting more in grunge bands and stuff mm -hmm. like that and that whole movement we were still able to tour and i could have carried on but i, I felt if i wasn't going up i didn't want to just go around mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so i just kind of just stepped back and was, was that hard because that was basically the whole scene you know, even the big bands were feeling it at that time frame yeah and everyone you know some bands tried to change mm -hmm. and i was like oh man i you know i want to grow i don't necessarily want to you don't need the lizzie borden industrial album or, <laughs> yeah right yeah and i saw some other bands doing that too you know i'm mm -hmm. like okay that didn't really work <laughs> uh so you know i like to add things i like to create new things but i didn't want to have to change because the scene changed mm -hmm. like i said early on i mean we were never part of any club you know we were never part of any you know all the thrashers were over here and all the glamours were over here and we were in the middle you had elements of both yeah i you know and i didn't want to have to join any one of these clubs mm -hmm. so it was me against the world because i really had no you know i didn't want to even some of the bands like let's pick a side yeah i'm like why why do i have to pick a side mm, you know interesting yeah if you would have picked a side it if might i would have been easier picked a side together. it would have been so much easier <laughs> it would have been so much easier i mm. mean if i would have gone thrash probably would have been really easy especially being on metal blade who's catering right. to more uh and more the you know extreme bands 
when you're talking about some of the bands that you mentioned, Alice, but a band that was kind of at your level when it started talking about Wasp, did you ever kind of go check them out and kind of like nick uh, stuff from each other or what to stay away from? Um, well, I've, you know, my influences were the 70s, so I was definitely taking from Cooper and Kiss and mm-hmm. the Tubes and just, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing, so I was just borrowing what they did and, yeah. until I could figure it out for myself. Mm-hmm. And once I figured it out, then I would abandon what I borrowed. As far as what was happening around us, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a healthy thing because everyone had their own thing. Blackie was chopping up meat and flinging it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I thought that a was... Saw blade. Yeah. I mean, I went to the Troubadour to see him and there was like 40 people. There was no one there. And he's flinging meat and people are flinging the meat back at him. And I'm like, that's interactive, you know. <laughs> yeah. it's, interactive it's, meat throwing. Yeah, it was such an interesting <laughs> idea. It's not something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I did was splatter blood on him, you know. Uh, and I thought that was my contribution. <laughs> did you guys all like hang out? Because there were so many bands back then. Was, did you ever kind of just see dudes at the bar some nights and hang out? Or would you go out? Yeah. I mean, the Rainbow was like the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to go to the Rainbow when it was the more of the uh, the end of the 70s. And it was still had the glam rock theme going. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everyone had their faces painted. You know, all the girls were all, you know, decked out. Mm-hmm. And then that went back then in you know and everybody all the guys were in colored suits you know like <laughs> rod stewart or something and uh and then they all went to overnight you know with probably around 81 82 all went to black leather jackets <laughs> and girls wearing all black and mm-hmm. you know black makeup and so that yeah but yeah i mean yeah, I, i've been friends with a lot of people from from all those different bands and we always hung out at the rainbow uh you know so it was one of those things where i liked it because everyone sounded different you know it wasn't until probably the probably 87 or 88 where the duplicate bands came in Mm -hmm. and they sounded Mm -hmm. just like the hit band you know but before that everyone kind of had their own sound and no one was trying to mooch off of anybody else and it, I, I, you know, that was really healthy at the time too, especially since we had to compete with all the great UK bands. Mm. You know, they had their sounds, and they were all individual too. So we were trying to do, we're emulating them, but put our own our own stamp sure. on, it, especially lyrically. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, it was pretty it was a pretty good back and forth there for a little while until the duplicate bands came in so we talked about this before uh, about the decline of the western civilization like when you think about lizzie borden's um exposure in the 80s that could be your your biggest moment as far as being one of the featured bands on this very critically acclaimed documentary how did that come about um it was probably through lisa gladfelter oh, but yeah. uh uh yeah i mean um we were red hot at the time in uh, LA, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, visualized was red hot. It was, uh, you know, was in the top one hundred. It was doing really well, and this is competing with bands who were putting a million dollars into, the, you know, into their thing. We were competing with that when we had no money at all. <laughs> so it was, un- it was an unbelievable achievement to be able to be in this on the same playing field as some of these bands where the labels are putting it in, you know, mm-hmm. there was all kind of reports, two or $3 million into promoting albums. Right. And, and ours was probably two or $300. <laughs> Come on, Slagle. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever talk to Brian about that? Or, or? Uh, he always just said the same thing, you know, those are major labels and, mm-hmm. and uh, this is, this is what it is. And, 
and he's got his model on the way he does things. His business model. Right? Yeah, and it doesn't really matter if the band's going through the roof. There's no more money going to be thrown at it. You hmm. know, it's just about let the people, uh, you know, find it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't get them to find it, they're not going to find it. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but. We're talking about how you guys are red hot, and when they yeah, we were red hot, and then she and then uh, the director Penelope, Penelope uh, contacted us, and uh, I met with her a couple of times, and we got on really well. And she was, uh, and she had, she didn't really, I don't think she understood what kind of movie she was making at the beginning. How do you mean? Uh, because when she first talked to me about it, it was more of a celebration. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought, you know, I thought Motley Crue in a hot tub, you know, uh, <laughs> going down Sunset Strip. I thought that's what she was trying to, to capture. Yeah. And so that whole time I, you know, and I had gone back for like, I don't know, three or four voiceovers and were, you know, and cause while she was making the movie during the, during the duration. But we were, we played on Halloween night in Pasadena, a uh, place where Van Haley used to play all the time mm-hmm. called Perkins Palace. And, uh, it was our last LA show, I think, uh, for the tour. And they came down and filmed the whole thing. And, uh, so she cut up that and put it in the movie, filmed us backstage and everything. Uh, but it wasn't until much later that, you know, after I came back, she brought me in for voiceovers and then she started telling me some of the stuff she'd been filming and, you know, where the direction of the movie was going. And it was going more of a, um, you know, this, it's like, I don't know, it's probably like in the 40s or 50s when people ran to Hollywood to be a movie star. Mm-hmm. This was the same sort of right. thing, yeah. but in the 80s and having it be the backdrop being heavy metal mm-hmm. music, you know. So everyone was coming here to be a rock star. It was the same, that's the kind of direction that she started uh, gravitating toward. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, and so I was like, when I saw the movie, you know, finally I was like, what is this? <laughs> it was so opposite of what I thought was going to be. But I understood it. She, you know, she was trying to, you know, see. She told that story. She told that story about these people running to Hollywood to be a star. You mm-hmm. know, it's the same old story, just a different decade and in different format. And so I understood why she went that way. I think you guys came, it looked pretty good, came out of it looking pretty good. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, we didn't uh, do too badly. Besides she, all the other bands on there, I think you guys would probably, the, like besides Megadeth played, but then you guys would be right underneath that as far as you had some success. She ended up having to cut, she had us featured even more in that movie, hmm. but because she got Aerosmith and Kiss and, Kiss Alice, and Cooper. Yeah. As soon as she got all the big names and Ozzy and everything, she, they, she, they had to cut us down. But mm-hmm. we were really going to be the feature band. Oh, wow. Okay. She had, she had in the first draft, it was, it was mostly us. So, because, you know, she filmed us backstage doing all kind of crazy things and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that whole show and everything. So, and like I said, I did a lot of voiceover stuff. But she ended up cutting us out a lot, which I was happy about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know what? We got out, we got in, and we yeah. got out. You got out alive. <laughs> did did that help when the movie came out? Did it? It did. It did. I mean, uh, everywhere we went, people had seen that movie. Still to this day, yeah, it's a know? classic. Uh, we went to South America. Went went to South Korea. Everyone knows us from that movie. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it actually, um, you know, it, it's done more so now than it did even back then. Hmm. Just it was because, hard to find back then too. Like, yeah. 
Now it's been on TV yeah, a lot, you know. Video on demand. They just re-released it. Yeah, know, it was the whole the whole thing. I remember like growing up in Canada. If you if you were able to see it somehow, someone would have like a bootleg yeah. copy on VHS. It's like check this out. This is great, you know. And, and so yeah, I mean, so now it's. I mean, everywhere we go, people talk about it, you know. And it's even people that never, they don't know me at all except for that movie. Yeah, right, right. Did you ever uh, meet up with with Alice or, or Paul Stanley or anybody like that? And Talk to them about kind of being a shock rock guy. Uh, Get advice or anything. Well, I've talked. I've had a, a few conversations with Cooper. Mm -hmm. uh, we played with him once. He came and, uh, and he was really cool. After we played, um, mm -hmm. we played the Orange Pavilion in like '86, and uh, he came over to our our uh, dressing room and started talking to us, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, we both played the Reading Festival in the UK the next year. And uh, they had a big party at the, a place called the Limelight. Metallica was everybody. Er, place, everybody yeah. was there. It was a big party. And me, him, and I was, we're talking. I think we talked about golf and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, me, him, and another guy named Marilyn. It was before Marilyn Manson. It was another rock star. Like an English guy called an Marilyn. English right? guy. Yeah, like a culture club type thing. Yeah. I, I can't remember what the name of the band was. But he was called Marilyn. Mm. And they took a picture of us three and put us on the front cover of whatever that whatever the london newspaper was mm -hmm. and said what are these three guys have in common we all had female Chick names, names yeah <laughs> so it was pretty that was pretty cool but uh yeah i mean i've had conversation with gene simmons as well he's called me a couple of times when mm -hmm. he was interested in us interested in like managing you or well it's hard to understand what he was talking about because he's so you know kind of crazy cryptic sometimes right <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not going to commit to anything, mm -hmm. but he called me on a couple occasions to uh, trying to f work with me in some way, and he wanted me to sign a, a lifetime deal. And I had read the Bowie, uh, the a book by a book that was written about David Bowie, and mm -hmm. he had signed a lifetime deal. And gave, and him and Elvis were the only two people to sign to give away fifty percent of their the publishing, thing, or... which was all illegal, you know. Oh. And but it, it happened. And uh, so I had already read that book, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I can't sign a lifetime deal with anyone. I have <laughs> fear, of, fear of commitment. <laughs> so uh, I, I said, I'll sign a five-year deal. Yeah. And then he said, no, I want a lifetime deal. But was, a lifetime deal for what, Gene? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what are like, you offering uh, me? Are you offering me a management? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Uh, what do you want? You just want to get anything I make but not have anything to do with me. Yeah. So and he was he was supposed to produce the Menace record actually and mm. it didn't happen uh, because he wasn't going to be there. Mm. He said that you know he was going to uh, do the record but he wouldn't be there. And I said, well, what, just put your name on it. Doesn't really help me. <laughs> you know, we needed something. But he, in his mind, he thought it would help you. Yeah, yeah. and I then think, and then I think it was around the Master of Disguise. He came in again as a producer, mm -hmm. and in the same thing, he said, you know, I'll I'll do pre-production, and then my guy will take over. And then and I said, oh, I don't want that. I go, I need to learn how to make better records, and I can't do it if the guy that's teaching me is not there. Right. You know. So I, I bypassed on that too. So yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> it, it, with Gene. It was the whole thing. It's a weird thing that uh, I have no idea what was going on. I only have a, a great. I still have the, it on tape of him calling me and leaving a message. He, you know, I, I always had my machine on, and all of a sudden, you know, 
I, I would just hear who it is. Hello, this is Gene Simmons. And this is bef- the first time. And I'm like, holy shit. Gene Simmons is calling me. Goes, I know you're there. I know you're sleeping. I'm going to call you back in an hour and you better pick up. And I'm like, holy shit. I have this all on tape too. <laughs> Still to this day. Did, did he call back in an hour? Yeah, he did. And I was picked it up. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Marilyn and I was just kind of thinking about like, uh, there was a couple like Rob Zombie, for example, and Marilyn Manson, that sort of thing. Kind of a modern day version of what Alice was doing and what Lizzie Borden was doing. Did, did those guys ever, I mean, do you feel like you're a pioneer uh, in this sort of a vibe? Have you ever kind of got any shout outs from them in any way? No, and okay. probably never. I mean, I I believe that I that I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I I was doing something when you know, even when we started, Cooper was on a five year hiatus. Yeah, yeah, he was a mess at that time yeah. too, and right? He was retired from mm-hmm. you know, all accounts, and no one really knew if he was ever coming back. Right. And uh, the tubes had kind of got rid of the show, mm-hmm. and they were kind of doing this. Where she's top a beauty 40, type yeah. thing, yeah. And uh, you know, all there was was Kiss. But even they had dropped the makeup pretty much in 83. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it was, I was out there alone doing this, you know, holding the torch, you mm-hmm. know, keep keeping it going. But yeah, I don't think any of those people would ever say anything. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you know a lot of them are, are old school metal fans. I'm Maybe. sure they've, they've, they've known, you know. Maybe, but I don't think they would ever say it. When yeah. um, when you talk about Master of Disguise and then kind of how things kind of bottomed out in 93, there's a big resurgence right now for, 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 for heavy metal in Europe, especially around this time over the last five or six years. Have you kind of uh, had a resurgence over there as well for Lizzie Borden? Well, it's, 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 it's almost different than a resurgence because we found a new audience. Mm. And so it's not... Because you've never been there too much before? In Europe, yeah, you hadn't been there much. Uh, well, when we started really doing uh, doing a lot more there, um, we had been trying to tour the U.S. and the U.S. was getting increasingly more expensive and difficult to do it. And so uh, when we went to, we played a couple of festivals in Europe and saw the reaction, and was like, "Oh my God, you know what is this?" So then we started booking tours there. So all through. Um, the 2000s we we've been you know okay. been in europe and constantly just just doing what we used to do in the states in the 80s we were doing that in europe and that's what we have been doing up until this day mm-hmm. um but yeah but the last tour that we did in for 2014 i think was the last one we did there and it was all kids no 80s fans at all mm. almost you know there's very few and it was just like, what is this? This is, this is, and they're, you know, the kids are so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. So it felt like it did at the beginning. You know, we, we played in front of these crazy kids that were so hyped and so into it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you play for an older 80s crowd, they just nod their head a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they're older now. <laughs> they're older now. And it's midnight. And it's like, come on, yeah. get on with it. Get to catch the train home. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the kids are just are so into it. And, and so that, that last run that we did was so exciting for me. Mm. I, I was loving it going, wow, this is a, a whole new beginning for us, you know. And so that's why I decided it was time to make a record. You know, I want to make a record for this new fan base that we have. Mm-hmm. We kind of have it around the world, too. We had it in South America, too. It was all young kids. And uh, and in South Korea, we played in Japan. Wow. All young kids. And it was, it was just so interesting. Let me ask you this. So you talked about back 
you know, when you had to get the squib, putting the guys in the back of the guy's head. And now here we are in 2016, you're doing these shows. Do you have, do you using um, some modern technology for some of your stuff on stage? Do you still do kind of that stuff on stage? Um, well, because, you know, throughout the years, you come up with different things. Other bands have come up with things. And sometimes it gets over the top silly. Mm -hmm. And it was silly back then, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. As long as fun superseded silly, we were all good. <laughs> But when it got less fun and just silly, then, you know, you don't have the money to do the prop the right way. You become a parody of yourself. Yeah, it became something. So I had to get rid of a lot of the sillier stuff, you know, even though it was fun to do mm. and bring it into more of a real thing. Um, like, you know, Guar's already done what we did in, take in, it to the, next in the early level, 80s yeah. and take it to the next level. And so I figured I don't want to do that, you know. So what I try to do is bring it back to a one-on-one uh, -on -one type of thing, even if I'm playing in front of, you know, 50,000 people, I wanted, you know, I wanted, how can I bring this blood routine back hmm. in a way that would work? And uh, I remember watching Omen. Uh, uh, there's always a, a horror theme behind my madness. The Omen, classic. Uh, but when they go fox hunting, and, you know, th that was the first time I had ever heard of when you kill your first fox, you get blooded. Oh, Omen 3, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you wipe the blood on the cheek. And I figured, oh, that is really cool because I'm playing in front of a lot of young kids who've never seen us before. This is their first time. So I want to kind of initiate them into what they're seeing. So we did a song called There Will Be Blood Tonight. And I would go out in the audience and blood as many people as I could in a three and a half minute song. Wow. So you would have a rag with blood on no, it? No, just I'd have a bucket of blood oh. and just reach my hand in and just do as many as i can and everybody wants it yeah know? sure so uh it was such a great thing to be able to go right into the crowd mm -hmm. and after i did that i started seeing more and more people going into the crowd <laughs> uh but you know as far as singers and stuff mm -hmm. but uh yeah it just it worked for me in such a, a great way that it was it's hard to not do it now. <laughs> right, yeah, it's a great idea. Because I've done it all over the world, yeah. and it, it always is the same reaction. Everybody wants it. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be have that initiation. And even if they've seen us before, they want it again, you know. So it was one of those things where I, was, I brought down from the squibs and, you know, and all the big production behind it down to just a human-level way of interacting with no money and take the silliness out of it, even though it is still kind of, silly but it's fun yeah, sure sure <laughs> it's funny on the on the book of uh, souls tour that iron maiden just did there's a scene during the, or uh, when eddie comes out and bruce reaches in he actually pulls out the heart of eddie and throws it in the crowd and it is the most cheesy looking thing <laughs> but because it's iron maiden yeah it's absolutely amazingly yeah. awesome and if you're able to because if you catch that heart oh my god but that's a perfect example <laughs> of like this is so not good but it's good because it's iron maiden exactly. and they and they're in on the joke yes you know bruce laughing about it but yeah. if you're actually a real satanic metal band or something it would just look like crap right right yeah, yeah. And I think that's the whole thing. Are you in on it? You yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when seeing Kiss, you have to buy into the premise yes. of these guys doing what they're doing. If you don't buy into it, then it's silly. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. But, you know, I bought into it completely. I loved it. <laughs> you know, and I loved real bands like Aerosmith and, and other you know bands that were just saying, okay, we're, it's all about the music sure, yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. I love that, too. But I was able to buy into the premise of theatrical bands. And, uh, like, for me, it was so much more fun 
<laughs> to do it rather than just going up and playing a rock star, you know. So even when you're talking about like an appointment with death and deal with the devil, which was the two records you did in the 2000s, you kind of had uh, a theme, like a character. You mentioned Stiletto, and I know you had one for the visualized guy or whatever, but um, will you do something like that for the new record, kind of recreate again? I don't know. Um, when I first started making this record, I was... I said I'm just not going to be a conceptual record at all. Mm-hmm. It's going. I'm just going to try and write nine or ten great songs that I like, and that was kind of uh, my idea behind it. But as I, as I started writing the lyrics, I started realizing that there there is an underlying theme, and I, you know I each, I tack I try to tackle at least one subject on each thing like like deal with the devil is about religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an appointment with death of like a different way to die every song. It was, like it was, I played death, you gotcha, know, right. so and death was inserted into everything, even love, you know, death of love, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all that stuff. So I was able to insert that character. So this one, I, I'm writing about love, but not, uh, you know, I'm writing about everything that's that's on the subgenre of love, mm-hmm. which is jealousy, which mm. is. You know all those all those subgenres of love, you know, to, to try and make it so interesting. And and I've never done that before. Mm. I've, I've written about love before, but uh, under different circumstances, not all in one un- encompassing thing. So, love you to pieces. Love yeah, is a crime. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Love kills. Yeah, that's right. Another good one. <laughs> Jesus, a bunch. <laughs> so yeah, I've done it. But uh, and this one is. Uh, is a little different because uh, I'm singing a little different. I'm singing. I'm doing lots of vocals on this one. I wanted to uh, not compete with the guitar on this. Mm. I decided, you know, this is going to be about the song. Every song is going to be just the song. It's not going to be a song showcasing a guitar solo or mm. showcasing a guitar riff. It was all about the vocals and the song. And so that's what this album is. That's why I kind of focused in on it. I wanted to take ego off the table. Mm-hmm. I wanted to take uh, someone's talent off the table. What's best for the vibe I, of the song? Yeah, whatever the song, the song should write itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's kind of where things have gone. With Something so you learn over years of recording, we we're on our seventh record now too, and you realize after a while, it's all about the song, man. It, it, it does not matter if there's a scream or a great solo. What's the chorus? What's the hook? And exactly. that's all that matters, right? The hook is everything, yeah. and that's what you're going to be known for. Mm-hmm. And it's not the live show. It's not. A, it's always going to be like back to the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I'm known for me against the world. Right. I'm trying to write another one that I could be known for. <laughs> but that's so hard. I mean, everyone's trying to do that. Kiss mm-hmm. has been trying to do it. Everyone's Absolutely. trying to do it. Absolutely. And you know, even if it's, even if you get another top five song it's still you're going to be known for the song you wrote 20 years ago well because people grow up with those too they have life experiences based around exactly you know i think that's always why people like hearing the older songs even though the newer songs might even be better but you have more an attachment to those older songs because you have experiences exactly and then you know you know if a band was on running on all cylinders at that time they happened to click it all like aerosmith can never redo rocks yeah it was just too perfect Mm -hmm. in the way it was the way it was created they can't even they couldn't find that again yeah their life depended on right 
And uh, so, you know, when you get in that groove and you're the best that that band's going to be and you write that one song, mm -hmm. it's hard to re, re, go in and rewrite another sure, one. Sure. I wrote that one. I can write this one. No, you can't. <laughs> A couple last questions. It's funny. You mentioned uh, uh, something that spurred, spurred it. So you have actually had two guitar players come out of your band. There might even be more, but that like that basically... Joe Holmes goes and joins Ozzy and then Dario goes and joins Zach who was in Ozzy. It's like you're kind of a feeding ground for Ozzy guitar players. <laughs> yeah, I, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's, it just keeps going. Like if Zach has a kid, I'll have a guitar player that joins. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how that happened. Uh, even when Ozzy went solo in the early 80s, that kind of was the bubble that started things to happen in, the 80, in, in Hollywood. Hmm. It was Ozzy looking for a guitar player and doing cattle calls. Wow. And every guitar player thought they could be the guitar player. And all there was them to look was Eddie Van Halen. You know, there was Eddie and then all the Eddie mm -hmm. Pretenders. influencers. Yeah. They were influenced by Eddie. So that kind of thing started bubbling. And then Randy gets the gig. But that started uh, other bands to, well, I didn't get that gig, but I'll form my other band, you know? Mm. So some of those people who actually auditioned or, or thought they could get into that formed their own bands. And the same thing was happening with lots of other things, too. And, mm. and once, you know, I think once, you know, a homeboy gets a gig, a big gig, it says, you know, he got it. We can get it, right. you know? This, you know, because everyone's just circulating in Hollywood, going around in circles. No one was touring at that time. Mm -hmm. Even when we started touring, it, it, no, no bands toured. You know, I think Motley Crue was the only one to, to get dope, out and right. do other things. And but you know, we were just a swimming around in the fish pond for mm -hmm. a couple of years until I said we have to go out to tour. Mm -hmm. So I borrowed my old band's uh, motorhome and stuck all these people in it, and we took off. <laughs> <laughs> we just called clubs and said we want to play and they said really? okay yeah that's what you would do yeah well they... that first tour we did it that way and and they went who are you <laughs> <laughs> we actually went to canada too which was crazy <laughs> did you get gigs yeah we played a place called larry's hideaway in toronto he, he was in toronto yeah. yeah and it was like the troubadour of that's uh, that is uh, a famous uh, place yeah and uh and i remember to this day walking in there and seeing tribute bands and I'd never seen a tribute band in my mm -hmm. life. And there was flyers for tribute bands. And this was probably early 85. And I was like, that's really weird. You're trying, they're pretending to be another like band. A Zeppelin tribute band. Yeah, or whatever, yeah. yeah. And I'd never seen that before. It, d it didn't happen in Hollywood. It was all new acts. All original. All wow. original. Yeah. yeah. It was Which changed quickly. Changed, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right, huh? Completely, yeah. <laughs> Last question I was going to ask you. Um, so we mentioned visualize the album cover for that is pretty crazy. It's you like in a bust out TV, but you're painted completely silver. It doesn't look like it was maybe the most comfortable. Uh, where did that come from? Oh my God. It was, you know, the character, I called him oblivion mm -hmm. and, uh, they actually kind of copped my, uh, the character creation a couple of years later in a movie called trick or treat. Oh, but my idea for the character was, he would shoot through the TV and he would be, in, he would, you know, infect every TV program and then come back out and then affect real life. Uh -huh. 
So that was kind of the, what the character, and they eventually did that in that movie. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> they could have at least got you to play Sammy Kerr, right? Uh, actually, they sent me the script. Really? Yeah. yeah. Sammy Kerr was kind of like a, a goth, uh, yeah. kind of evil rock star, kind of looked almost the Lizzie Borden yeah, vibe. Yeah, they, they sent the script to, to Metal Blade, and I read it, and I was interested, but they ended up going with an actor. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Fools. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, but uh, that's how I envisioned the character. So we figured, okay, well, let's get a TV. And I think Mark Weiss did the uh, Famous cover. photographer, yeah. And we ended up uh, getting two or three TVs and a blowtorch. And we had two or three people dismantling these TVs, gutting the TVs and blow torturing them. We, we, we gutted like two or three TVs and completely just like the one that's on the cover, <laughs> just to see what, which one was the, the one that we liked. And... Uh, so we ended up with that one. And then I started out with just a little bit of silver on my eyes. And that was it. And my hair, you know. And then Mark just said, no, more, more, more. <laughs> so. You look like the Tin Man. <laughs> Joey was actually the one painting me. And I was using, I only used theatrical makeup. I never used Maybelline or anything like that. It was always theatrical makeup. But I was using this silver stuff that probably Ace was probably using because it was I mean, it just goes right into your skin. Yeah. And he had to keep, it was a, you know, it was a probably a, I don't know, 17 hour shoot. <laughs> and so, but he had to keep just pouring the silver makeup on my face. My skin was just absorbing it. <laughs> and, uh, and spraying my hair silver and just, you know, spraying my arm silver. And uh, yeah, it was one of those things where I was in that TV all day long, <laughs> constantly. Well, There's so many other shots that came from that. And we, we didn't know, you know, we ended up with the one we had, but uh, it was, <laughs> it was a long process. There, almost every cover, I'm, I'm being tortured. The Deal with the Devil one, I had to sit on a perch with, with those giant wings <laughs> behind me. I mean... Oh, that was another 17 hour shoot and just on the perch the whole time i was on the perch with three girls below me and we had to have the right pose and we just kept shooting and shooting until we finally found it but i'm like you know all the covers are you know i i i suffer <laughs> <laughs> how did you get your hair so frizzy back in those days it was like frizzy borden was your nickname at times it was it frizzy frizzy lizzie yeah. yeah it was easy because i did uh, back then there was no there was no product for men mm -hmm. it was only for women and even the glam rockers found Aquanet, right? Yeah, which was such a bizarre thing, you know, uh, for a man to use Aquanet, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so, uh, and like I said, I only used theatrical makeup, so I didn't really get into any products, and I didn't know anything. So I never used c conditioner, not not even regular conditioner, nothing. <laughs> and my hair just got frizzier and frizzier and drier and drier, and I would use a blow dryer and make it even worse. Yeah. But I remember being in Japan and trying to blow dry it, and my hair just said no, and it just said no, and it just was, it just <laughs> finally was. I, I got to figure something out. So it said I, no, and it just went. It just, well, it wasn't even a good frizz. It no, was just, it was just done. Yeah. It was not a, one drop of moisture in it. So <laughs> I came back and I talked to somebody, and they said, "Are you using conditioner?" I'm like, "What's that?" <laughs> <laughs> there you go and now you have a fine healthy uh yeah. straight head of hair <laughs> final question what's your favorite song to play live uh when you do shows 
Well, the last tour, uh, it was under your skin mm -hmm. because it was a brand new song, which I, you know, it's a great you tune. know, you're a singer, you love yeah. playing new, new stuff. You know, I always love to sing new things, but you can't do it unless there's a reaction. Mm -hmm. And every night that got one of the biggest reactions in the whole show. So it was such a, and it was a song I wrote by myself one night, you know, and it was really dark and in the studio and it just all came together really mm -hmm. well. So the fact that it translated on stage was beyond a bonus because I, I didn't know if it was, we were, I didn't even play it in the first round. Mm. You know, we played like seven songs off a point with Death Live and I didn't play that one. Wow, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't think it would translate. And Joey's like, you got it. We got to play that. We got to play that. I'm like, I don't think it's going to work. So then I put it in the show and it kills. And I end up getting rid of all the other songs. <laughs> but yeah, it worked all around the world too. I mean, uh, we played it in South Korea and they went, it was mm. like the biggest reaction of the whole show. Amazing, right? You think it's South Korea of all places. Too. Yeah. It's very yeah. strange in South America as well. Same thing. You know, we're thinking they're only going to really like the old stuff, but that was uh, the biggest reaction of the whole tour. <laughs> that's great man yeah. so it was fun for me to be able to sing a brand new song sure sure and have people hit react and that's well. what i hope to do with the new album i'm going to you know uh, even when we did master of the skies we played 80 percent of master of the skies and just like maybe three old wow songs. yeah and we got some flack mm -hmm. but no one wanted us to take out any of the master of the skies songs they just wanted to have the show longer yeah so that was, was a, I was like, okay, I'll take the flack as long as it's a good you're not problem, telling right. me not to play the new album. Right. You know? And the same thing with The Point With Death. You know, we played like seven or eight of the songs in the show, mm -hmm. but we made the show a little longer. Um, but for this album, I plan on playing the majority of the album live. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Huge revolt. And if that's the case, just spray him with blood and tell yeah. him to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> All right, thanks to the amazing Lizzie Borden, one of my all-time favorites. His new record is called My Midnight Things. It's his first album in 11 years, available on Metal Blade Records, uh, home of Brian Slagle, uh, a Talk is Jericho alumni. And you can get the record, My Midnight Things, on Apple Music, Amazon, or wherever you buy music. Lizzie will be on the road soon as well. Follow him on Facebook at Real Lizzie Borden and on the Twitter at Real Lizzie Borden. You won't miss him live. The show is great. Go check him out if you got a chance. Uh, very, very cool to have Lizzie Borden back on the scene and very cool to have Cabin still available for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, but they're not lasting for long, all right? Just go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com to book yours now. And we finally have the first round of the Sea of Honor tournament as presented by Ring of Honor. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Uh, it's going to be really, really, uh, I think it's going to be a great tournament. And let's see, who do we got on board right now? We got Jay Lethal versus BJ Whitmore. Christopher Daniels, talk is Jericho alumni, versus Delirious. Marty Skrull versus Rhett Titus. Silas Young versus Flip Gordon. And then the other side of the bracket, Mark Briscoe versus Will Ferrara. Adam Page versus Frankie Kazarian, Talk is Jericho alumni. Cheeseburger, Talk is Jericho alumni, versus Beer City Bruiser. Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. They're going to be battling it out, and the winner of the Sea of Honor tournament gets a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship title shot, and we got a lot more matches coming. You guys should go check out Being the Elite to see what may or may not be happening with Chris Jericho and the Young Bucks. We might call ourselves the Bucks of Jericho, or is it Y2 Jackson? Check that out. Lots of great matches coming up, and you're going to see a lot of amazing people on board. This is not like a wrestling convention, all right? Wrestling convention, you pay for your ticket, 
and then you got to go pay for an autograph, and you got to go pay for, for a picture. It's all inclusive on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager. See, when you book your cabin, you can hang out with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. You can go hang out with Mick Foley, uh, Rick the Dragon, Steve, Ray Mysterio, Raven, the Keeping It 100 crew. Beyond the Darkness is going to be there. Cole Cabana and Marty DeRose are going to be there doing their unprofessional wrestling show. Super hilarious. Killing the Town will be there. Pat Patterson, Karaoke Night, Brad Williams, Craig Gass, Ron Funches, Silent Q from the Impractical Jokers, keeping you laughing. Fozzie, Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, King, The Stir, The Dave Spivak Project, The Cherry Bombs, Shoot to Thrill, the world's best female ACDC cover band, Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's best Ozzy cover band. So many great things happening on the Jericho Cruise. I can't even think uh, any more people. How about Raven? Let's put him on there. Or how about the uh, Sea of Honor tournament, which you know about? We also got Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, all going to be there. Brian Cage is going to be there. Melissa Santos is going to be there. Kelly Klein, Mandy Leon, Brandy Rhodes. So many people are going to be there. Uh, so don't forget to go book your cabin now at chrisjerichocruise.com. And coming up on Friday... You have heard him as a, a talking head for years. He's been interviewed many times. He's been on this show. We've talked about Brian Pillman with Dave Meltzer. We talked about Chris Benoit with Dave Meltzer. So many uh, great, great shows. But for the first time ever, it's Dave Meltzer on Dave Meltzer. What's the history of the uh, most heralded critic in uh, uh, wrestling history, it's kind of like uh, the Rodney Bingingham of wrestling. Yeah, exactly. The, the Gene Shalit of pro wrestling. The Roger Ebert of pro wrestling. Jess, you ever heard of Roger Ebert? Exactly. Well, this is the Dave Meltzer. He is the Roger Ebert of pro wrestling. We're going to talk about his rise into the business, his relationship with Vince McMahon, how he became the most hated man in pro wrestling at a certain point in time, and then now is accepted and is known as kind of the pundit. He's the Simon Cowell of wrestling. If Dave Meltzer gives you a five-star rating, it means something. We're going to hear all about his, his star rating uh, style and all the other things that makes Dave Meltzer one of the uh, most premier uh, wrestling experts in the total history of the business coming up this Friday. Uh, Dave will be here. Until then, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big yeah, boy! My midnight things! Go check out the new record now. Thanks to Lizzie Borden. We'll see you on Friday.